Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we know that your word makes the simple wise. And so we love your word. And we ask now that you would revive our souls. And I ask that you would make simple people like us wise, wise in the way that we use our words. I ask that you would humble our hearts before your word and in humbling that you would rebuild them. Lift us up if we are despairing as we look at the one who never spoke evil or deceit. His word always comes to pass. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, the aim of my talk today as we continue this series in the book of Proverbs is to appreciate how the book of Proverbs in its entirety speaks about how we use our words. And Proverbs talks about making our words few and fitting. And its emphasis is that whatever we say, we need to recognise that our words matter. And so my hope today is that as a result of hearing God's word from the book of Proverbs, we might learn to use our words more carefully, more correctly and more consistently. And also that we might notice our words, that we might notice our words as a way of realising what's going on in our hearts, a window into our hearts as we saw Jesus speak of in that reading from Matthew chapter 12. I'm aware of as we raise the issue of words, wise words and false words that it may actually be that we need to repent of things that we have said. And we also may need to repent of things that we haven't said that we should have. So that's my aim, is that we might see from the book of Proverbs that words matter and that we might consider our words and repent if necessary or when necessary. But I want to begin by saying, uh, although we're focusing this particular sermon as we look at the book of Proverbs on the whole of the book, particularly on the nature of words, life doesn't consist merely of words. The book of Proverbs speaks about our lives as not merely words, but of words and deeds. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 23 says, All hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. See, life isn't just about words, but words are our focus today. The Lord Jesus was known to be mighty in both word and deed. And words are not just important in the book of Proverbs, but they are indeed fundamental in our existence. This is the point that the Bible makes. Words are fundamental to our existence We are created in the image of a God who speaks. We are distinct from the animals in that sense. We speak because only humans are created in the image of God. Parents love to hear their kids speak, or at least at the start. Um, Now, 
who can tell me their children's first words? In fact, you might be able to tell us your own words that your parents have probably told you. What, what are some of the first words ever spoken by people in this room? No. no. Is that right? <laughs> That's a good one. What, what, what are the first words that parents have heard? Mummy. That's a great one, Toby. What, what are other words that were first spoken by children? Perhaps yourself, your own children? Aeroplane. Jez. Dadu. Nice. A kind of word. A kind of word. Up. Up. Yeah, it's great. We long. We long to hear children speak. Our own children in particular, that those first words are so crucial. And then as they grow, that the words come more and more frequently and we we lose such desire to hear them speaking so often and sometimes perhaps wish that sometimes they wouldn't speak. Words are built into the very fabric and existence of what it means to be a human because this is the nature of our God. Our God is a God who speaks. When God wanted to create the world, how did he do it? He spoke and the word the world came into being. When Jesus came into the word, the world, he came as the word made flesh. flesh. And when he was here, what did Jesus do? He taught and preached. And now today, even in this very moment, this very moment that we are in, Hebrews chapter 1 tells us that the Lord Jesus, who came as the word, who spoke in our world, is seated at the right hand of the Father. And our our world holds together by what? By his powerful word, by Jesus' powerful word. And as Christians, we have been saved by hearing God's word. And so it makes sense that as we read the book of Proverbs that one of the recurring themes, in fact, the most prominent theme in the book of Proverbs aside from wisdom is words or speech. Because the book of Proverbs sees that words are in fact the test for wisdom. Uh, We like to think of ourselves as wise how would we know? Well, the book of Proverbs points us to consider our words and our speech. They illustrate to us if we're wise or if we're not. And in the book of Proverbs, and indeed the scriptures, we know that uh, God who speaks is also the God who creates and saves. And we'll come to that at the end. And it's him, the God who speaks, that also is the God that saves us. Many of us who have said things that we deeply regret. We'll come to that hopefully at the end. You'll see that there's an outline there. I've only got three points today. Uh, it's a bit of a trick though because there's like 100 subpoints, but there's only three points there. Um, my kids, because their kids are in, um, rather than in kids' church at the moment, said, Dad, can you make it a bit more interesting this week? I don't know if it's going to be any more interesting for our children, but I I do know what we're looking at today isn't complex. It's simple. But just because it's simple 
uh, doesn't mean it's not crucially important. And the book of Proverbs lays out how crucial our speech is in a really simple and helpful way. So there in the outline, firstly, the radical power of words. A power to kill and a power to give life. In 2017, US woman Michelle Carter was charged with manslaughter after urging her boyfriend, Conrad Roy, to kill himself through text messages. Did you hear about this? Um, it, was, uh, it was in the papers earlier in the year, it come up again, because uh, she was up for parole. But she had texted him hundreds of messages that were encouraging him to kill himself, and he did, sadly, do that. The documentary that was released about the case last year was entitled... Conrad and Michelle, if words could kill. Well, you know what the court thought? Words could. They convicted her of manslaughter. Because that court, and we know this simple truth. Why don't you turn to the book of Proverbs, chapter 18, verse 21. I don't think it's there in the outline. For some reason, that one slipped off. But Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, I'm going to look up every proverb here that's listed, you'll be pleased to know, but this is a good one to start us off looking at. Proverbs 18, verse 21, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. The book of Proverbs helps us realise that what we say matters. And more than matters, it has a tremendous power and a force that we're often quite unaware of. John the Baptist was killed because of his words. At the word of Herod, he was executed. Often words do kill, literally, uh, as we saw in that case with Michelle Carter. But words don't always kill literally, they often kill a person's social reputation. A person can have life sucked out of them by the torment of what people would say about them online. We've got many cases of young kids, ages 10, as young as 8, often around the 12 and 13 mark, who have been reduced in terms of what it is to be a vital human simply because of words and the words that they've received from those that they go to school with. But at the same time, words can kill, but they also, Proverbs 18 verse 21, can also bring life. They're contained in just the sounds that come out of our mouths are both the potential to kill, but also the potential to bring life. Peter says, we know this, because Peter says to Jesus, where, have, where else do we have to go? Because you have the words of life. Secondly, we see that words are powerful because they can wound and heal. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18 It says, reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. 
What's been really interesting to me as I've read the book of Proverbs thinking about this sermon is to consider the, the emotional impact that words have. The book of Proverbs really understands this. This is not just a modern idea. Um, some of us might be tempted to think, oh, these days people just aren't strong enough to hear the truth. No, the, the book of Proverbs really appreciates that people are sensitive and have been throughout all ages to what people say. It's not a modern phenomenon. Our words have a deep impact on people. We know that a joyful heart is good medicine and that often God uses a person in our lives by what they say to, to raise our spirits, to encourage us, to lift us up. And in fact, we all need that because the reality of the Christian life is that we all are struggling in different ways and so we as the body of God's people need the encouragement of words spoken to one another by God's people. I'm reminded on, of um, Diedrich Bonhoeffer in his book Life Together where he speaks of him struggling to hear God's word as he read it for himself. But he'd hear those same words spoken in the collection of God's people, those words spoken to him after he met with God's people, spoken from someone else. And he was able to hear them with a freshness and a vitality that he couldn't hear by himself. You see, we gather as God's people. We gather to encourage one another, and our words are crucial they bring wise healing, the book of Proverbs tells us. We're all struggling. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 25 recognises this. An anxious heart weighs down a man, but a kind word cheers him up. A kind word cheers him up, makes him glad. And in uh, chapter 12, verse 18, there's that, there's that image there that's used to speak about words. Um, James uses the image of a rudder, for example. But the book of Proverbs uses uh, the image of our words being like a sword. Uh, I know uh, the Hobbs have a samurai sword in their house, a relic, I think, from World War II. Now, um, I'm sure with kids around, they didn't uh, lightly hand over the sword to any particular child who wanted to wield it because you don't give a samurai sword to a child to wield. And this is the image that the book of Proverbs is helping us appreciate, that, that words are like, are like a sword in our hands. And just like a sword can pierce, you can pull that sword out in an instant, but those wounds don't heal in an instant. Those wounds are carried. And the foolish person in the book of Proverbs is like the kid with a samurai sword. They don't know the power that's in their hands. The words are coming out of their mouths, cutting remarks, scattering people all over the place, cutting them into pieces. We can almost endure, wise man said, anything done to us but it's very hard to endure what goes on in us. Sticks and stones will break our bones, but names will never hurt us. That's plainly untrue. 
according to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 17 verse 10 says, A rebuke impresses a man of discernment more than a hundred lashes of a fool. See, a rebuke impresses a man of discernment. Deep wounds come from our words, often stored up, stored up in others without our knowledge. We're quite oblivious because we've been wielding a sword like a kid. Words coming out of our mouth, ill-considered, and they're around us. People are storing up hurt and anger. We might say that Proverbs also says, uh, faithful are the wounds of a friend, implying that there are such a thing as good wounds, and that is certainly true. But those wounds are not like a kid with a samurai sword. Those wounds are like a surgeon with precision, with careful consideration, words given by a friend in close proximity with the intention of healing, not carelessly thrown around. See, we need to avoid the slashing of words just thrown around carelessly and recklessly because they hurt. Whether we can see the impact directly or not, they hurt and they harm. A parent who gives a child a belittling nickname. Children often carry that for the rest of their lives. Snide little comments to one another. Many of us who are married are often guilty of this the worst. You know, the, the trusted little conversation that occurs between a married couple. It's the snide remark that you know is safe. But the book of Proverbs doesn't say uh, your words can harm and hurt, but if you're married talking to your spouse, then it's okay. Where's the church want to use words that build up, that encourage? Because this is why we come to church. We come, I don't know about you, but I come longing to hear words of encouragement primarily as the word of God is brought to us, as we're encouraged by the word of God, but the outflow of that, the encouragement of God's word, is the way in which our speech to one another encourages each other. Um, I know that uh, many of us have had a a diversity of parenting styles. Some of us have had very encouraging parents. Some of us very discouraging and harmful. Some parents have wounded us. Comments like this, you're just as stupid as your father. I know there are grandparents here today who still hold on to the hurt their parents spoke when they were seven or eight. Some of us have parents whose words didn't cut and slash, but whose words often healed. Things like, whatever happens, you can call me. See, words have that power. Power to kill and power to give life. Power to wound and power to heal. And sometimes the most healing words are actually to acknowledge the wounds of past spoken words. Our willingness to realise that we have wounded in our words and to say sorry to acknowledge that and to speak about that directly with those that we feel like we may have hurt. 
can often have a significant healing effect. We want to use our words to heal, to nourish and encourage. Thirdly, we want to use our words to unite rather than divide. Words can divide and separate there in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 27. A scoundrel plots evil and his speech is like a scorching fire. A perverse man stirs up dissension and a gossip separates close friends. See, from that proverb, a a divisive word actually comes from a heart that is evil. And these words, uh, this is not a biblical imagery, but this is my imagery, uh, like a a flamethrower from people's hearts. There they are, spurting out. And there is destruction as they uh, leave someone's mouth. They're like a fire there. This is something that the book of James picks up on. And this is often the case in a church. Um, what Satan uses often is gossip. One Christian writer speaks of gossip as the devil's chariot. It is what he rides to do his work in the church. Words can divide. Words can also, fourthly, instruct. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 7, the lips of the wise spread knowledge, not so the hearts of fools. So the question for us to ask is, what are we spreading? What are we sharing? What are we disseminating? We have a tremendous potential with our words to teach, to teach what is going on in our lives, what, in fact, God is doing in our lives. An alternative uh, to the destruction of words is the building up of words, and it could start with a sentence like this, God has been teaching me. That, I would imagine for most of us to hear what God is doing in your life, if we could speak to one another like that, that would be tremendously encouraging. That's the kind of knowledge that we want to spread. The book of Proverbs speaks of the wise person when they speak. It's like you're being fed. Proverbs chapter 10 verse 21 says, The lips of the righteous nourish many, but fools die for lack of judgment. Uh, Proverbs also speaks about the wise person, their speech is like a fountain. From within them overflows words that nourish and give life. And this is what it is for us to be Christians. For us to be a Christian is to trust in the Lord Jesus, to know that he has saved us, to come to a realisation that the God of the universe has forgiven us and he's brought us into this community of his people. And just as we require the encouragement of God's word and God's people, we too are also the instruments of encouragement for one another. Fifthly, words can defend and liberate. Words are not just for our benefit, they're not just for our encouragement, they're for the benefit of others. Proverbs chapter 31 verse 8, it says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. 
See, words have a power. And the right use of the power of words is for those who aren't in power, for those who cannot speak for themselves. We ought to use our words to protect, to defend. Um, I think of the example of Ruth and Boaz. Ruth is in a vulnerable position and Boaz protects her when he says to her, I have charged the young men not to touch you. Words are used to advocate and to protect. You see there on the outline, our, our second point is that we are the right use of our words. There is great harm that words can bring about, but there is tremendous potential. And how do we use our words rightly? Well, we're to use our words with honesty and not deception. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 19 says, Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only for a moment. Truthful lips endure forever. Hear the echo that's behind that statement, truthful lips endure forever. There's this sense that truth has this enduring, eternal quality. I think the book of Proverbs is helping us see what the Bible in itself understands, that true speech, well, true speech is like God, comes from God. We're like God when we speak the truth because he cannot lie. And when we tell the truth, we speak the very, we reflect, sorry, the very character of God. And this indeed has a tremendous impact, not only in our relationship with God, as we reflect his character, but with our relationships with one one another. Relationships flourish in truth and honesty. I don't know if you've seen that movie Liar Liar by Jim Carrey. It's an old movie. I can't even remember if I've seen it or not. Um, But I I do remember the basic premise of the movie. The main character, don't know who his name is, he cannot lie. And the movie's relatively funny because (laughs) he's placed in all these situations where he just blatantly, unreservedly tells the truth in a way we don't. And that's what makes it funny. That's what makes the movie funny because so often we don't tell the truth. In Romans chapter 3 where Paul is making this case for the utter rebellion of humanity. This is the climax in his argument. first three chapters of the book, there's this key section in the book of Romans chapter 3 verses 13 to 14. He says... Not just what rebellion is, but he says where rebellion is. Where is it? In Romans chapter 3, he says it's in the throat, it's in the mouth, and it's on the lips. We're to speak the truth. Secondly, in the book of Proverbs, we're to avoid gossip. There's lots of places that speak about gossip um, in the Bible and in the book of Proverbs. Gossip is one of those things that's not just a product of social media. It's a reality. It's an ancient reality. It's a human reality. And I think the truth is we all, to some degree, engage in gossip. And we engage in gossip because, firstly, we don't see it as that bad. 
And yet if you look at the book of Romans, chapter 1, where Paul is listing sin, there is gossip right next to murder. We gossip because we don't actually see it as that big a deal. We gossip because we don't actually understand what the book of Proverbs is saying. We don't understand that words have the power to kill, to harm. And we gossip not because we don't realise how damaging it is, but we gossip because the truth is we love it. That's why we sin at any time. We sin because we love the sin. And the reason why we gossip is we love it. We love negative information. We love a sense of controversy. We want a sense of drama in our lives. And we love controversy, negativity, because it feeds our prideful flesh. It makes us feel superior because it stems from our pride. So how do we avoid gossip? Well, we watch what we say. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 20 says, Without wood, a fire goes out. Without gossip, a quarrel dies down. You know how you have a church without gossip? Without wood, a fire goes out. You just don't do it. One commentator says this. He says, Adultery, for example, is perceived in most Bible-believing churches as a serious sin, and it is. But I have never seen adultery send a whole church into meltdown. Gossip, by contrast, is often perceived as a little sin, but it destroys churches. Gossip can even be perceived as some kind of need. I have to let this out. When we become Christians, we stop blurting whatever we feel. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 11, the author quotes, A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds back. Do you know how many people it takes to split a church? Not half the congregation, just two. Not to start spreading the fiery negativity, one to start spreading the fiery negativity, and the other not to confront that behaviour as sin that it is. So, when you hear gossip and we all hear it, and in fact many of us participate in it, what we can do to love our brothers and sisters is not to entertain it, is to call it out, to realise what it is, to encourage perhaps, if, if someone has an issue with someone, rather than telling you they could tell the person. I know a lot of us don't want us to do that because that might upset the person that we're speaking at behind their back, yet in gossiping about them we're actually creating far more harm and hurt for them than speaking to them directly. We want to be peacemakers, uniters and not dividers. Thirdly, we're to avoid flattery if we're to speak honestly. Flattery is a way of using dishonest words. Uh, many of us who are raised in polite, um, you know, middle-class, English-inspired culture like ours, this is one that I think we are at great risk of um, we are at great risk of flattery. Proverbs chapter 26 verse 28 says, "A lying tongue hates those it hurts, and flattery in a mouth works ruin." 
See, we know that lying's wrong, but flattery, in the way that proverb is constructed, is paralleled there with lying and deceit. We want to encourage one another. We want to lift one another up, but it, not, it must not be at the cost of truth. Fourthly, we want to be gentle but bold. Proverbs chapter 25 verse 15 says, Through patience a ruler can be persuaded and a gentle tongue can break a bone. A gentle tongue can break a bone. Here the book of Proverbs is helping us appreciate that the more we talk or the louder we talk doesn't always achieve what we want. Thirdly, our words are to be wise and apt. Could I, sorry, someone grab me a glass of water, run out. This is important for us to acknowledge because as much as we're committed to truth and speaking the truth, the book of Proverbs realises that there's a, there's a seasonality. There's a timing issue that's crucial in what we say. It's not just what we say as being right and truthful, and it's not just how we say it. The book of Proverbs really interestingly appreciates the timing of our words. Our words are to be appropriate. Proverbs 25 verse 11 says, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Thank you. See what words aptly chosen at the right time are like? They're like gold. They're precious. And they're crafted. They're crafted in a way that fits their setting. Uh, the New Testament picks up on this idea in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. It says, Do not let any un unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up of others according to their needs. And the next phrase is really interesting. As it fits the occasion. So we're to speak correctly for the building up of one another, but we're to speak it in a timely way. Fourthly, we're to use few words, not many. If we want to sin by our words, what do we do? We just keep talking. We just keep talking. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. Fifthly, our words are to be calm and not harsh, finally. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19. When the words... Oh, sorry, um... Proverbs chapter 15, verse 18. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. In the book of Proverbs, the, the hot man is contrast to the calm man. There's a way of speaking that comes directly from our anger, and that causes strife, the book of Proverbs says, but there's also a way of speaking that comes from a heart that's calm, a heart that's clear-headed about the situation, a heart of love, and we want to do that. I've, uh, I've run out of time, but finally, I want to say as we close, just something about the right source of words. Um, the right source of our words in the book of Proverbs is our heart. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, "'Keep your heart with all vigilance.'" For from it flow the springs of life. That reading from Matthew chapter 12 picked up on the way in which Jesus speaks 
about our hearts and indeed the way our hearts reflect or the way our, heart, our words reflect what's in our hearts. Because the reality for us as Christian people are that we are people who speak and for so much of the time, for often, often we speak from anger. Often we're like the foolish person in the book of Proverbs and often we wound. And why? Well, Jesus would say, because our hearts are corrupt. Those words might be rash words. They might be spoken quickly, but they come from the depths of our heart. They're not a rush of blood to our head. They're a revelation of who we are, people whose hearts fundamentally before God are corrupt. And so we as Christian people need to entrust ourselves to him, to the Lord Jesus, the one who there was no deceit in his mouth. We might wound by our words, but by his wounds we are healed. And so we need to entrust ourselves to him as we seek to speak wisely, as we seek his forgiveness. Let us be people who speak wisdom to one another for Christ's glory. Amen.